Welcome to Practical Christian Living. You ever heard anybody say, listen, I'm young, I'll wait till I'm old. Having a good time, I'm partying, I'll wait till all my partying's done, and then I'll commit my life to Christ. What you don't know is all of the folly that you're going to do and all of the seeds that you're going to sow during those days. And people who are older never say, wish I would have partied more. Wish I would have lived more, you know, for pleasure. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. But the world today, and even many in the church, get caught up in the desire to live for pleasure instead of living for God's righteousness. The draw of worldly temptation is strong, no doubt. But God is stronger. He is more powerful if we would simply surrender to that power and fervently seek God's will and God's word. With 2 Timothy chapter 3, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we do want to thank you again for your word. We thank you that you have preserved it from generation to generation. And that we have in front of us what has been attacked, that has been tried to be destroyed, it's been banned, it's been burned, and yet it remains. And it, it works in our lives. And we thank you that we can gather together here on a Wednesday night and study your word week after week, line by line, learning the riches of what we find in the pages of Scripture. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times are going to come. Dangerous, perilous times in the last days. Perilous times for you spiritually. When the disciples were with Jesus on the Mount of Olives and they said to him, can you tell us what the last days will be like and what will the sign of your coming be? One of the first things that Jesus said to them was, be careful that you are not deceived because many deceivers are going to go forth and many false Christs are going to go forth. We are living in the last days. By the way, to me, there's no doubt about that. People will ask me, well, how do you know we're living in the last days? My answer is the nation of Israel. The Bible says in the last days, God will bring back his people from all around the world and bring them back into the land of Israel. In our slightly before our lifetime, we'll put it that way. Israel has been restored. It was completely and totally desolate. Think of 1850. D.L. Moody wrote a book on heaven, and he wanted to make the example that heaven was not a desolate city, and he used Jerusalem as an example. He had taken a trip to Jerusalem, and he described how desolate it was in 1850. Well, by 1950, Jerusalem was a living city. God had done so much. He had said that he would cause a nation to be born in a day, that he would bring back a forgotten language, that he would bring the people back into the land. And all of this would happen in the last days. All of it has happened in our day. Now, there are those who believe that that's all coincidence, that God said that it was going to happen and it happened, but God meant it as an allegory and not literally. Therefore, it's just a coincidence that it happened. And I might say 
That's quite a coincidence if you believe that. Listen, before it all came to pass, I could understand you going, I believe that God is replacing Israel with the church. But after it has all happened and we see that God brought all these things to pass literally, I think maybe it's good for us to understand that when the Bible says something's going to happen, it's going to happen and it's going to happen literally. People say, well, you know, you can't really take prophecy literally. Every prophecy that was fulfilled in the New Testament that was foretold in the Old Testament was fulfilled literally. There's not one prophecy that was fulfilled figuratively. In other words, when the Bible said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, he was born in Bethlehem. It wasn't an allegory about Bethlehem. He was born there. When it says that God would call him out of Egypt, he called him directly out of Egypt. It wasn't an allegory. When it said that he would be born of a virgin, it wasn't an allegory, even though it was an impossibility. It wasn't an allegory. It was literal that a virgin conceived and brought forth a son and so on and so forth. All of the Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled by Jesus, he fulfilled literally. So then why all of a sudden would you say, well, after Jesus died, they're all figurative now. All the prophecies in the future are figurative. All the prophecies in the past are literal. If you are literal in the way that you take the Bible, then you're not going to be a preterist. You know what a preterist is? A preterist is someone who believes that the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel have already come to pass. That Nero was the fulfillment of the beast. Here's the thing about the preterist movement. They say that Revelation was fulfilled by Nero. The book of Revelation was written in the 90s. Nero lived in the 60s or he reigned in the 60s. He can't be the fulfillment of that because of when it was written and being written talking about the future. So that we are living in perilous times. We're living in a time when we need to hang on to what the Bible says. We're living in a time when deceivers go out into the world and we need to make sure that we are not of those who would be deceived. We also know that in the last days, perilous times are going to come because of the kind of men that there will be upon the earth. And it gives a description of what men will be like in the last days. And I like what Skip Heitzig says here. He says it's like reading a Time magazine. Verse 2, it says, For men will be lovers of themselves. That will be one of the marks of men in the last days. And almost everything that follows on this lengthy list of what men are are part of being lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of themselves and they will be lovers of money. They will be boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents. We'll pause on that one. <laughs> Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And if there is anything that describes our society, it is lovers of pleasure. I think that the main reason that people do not commit their lives to Christ is because they are living for pleasure and they don't want to stop. Years ago, I had shared with a friend, we, were, we had gone to high school together and then we were working together and I shared Christ with him and he was interested and he said, but if I become a Christian, and he just said this very boldly, if I become a Christian, am I going to have to stop sleeping with my girlfriend? I said, yes. He said, then I'll wait till after I'm married. 
I think that that is the perspective of a lot of people. You ever heard anybody say, listen, I'm young. I'll wait till I'm old. <laughs> Having a good time. I'm partying. I'll wait till my partying's done. And then I'll commit my life to Christ. What you don't know is all of the folly that you're going to do and all of the seeds that you're going to sow during those days. And people who are older never say, wish I would have partied more. <laughs> wish I would have lived more, you know, for pleasure. People who are older say, wish I would have gotten serious sooner. I wish I would have lived for God before that. I wish I would have poured into my family more. I wish I would have got a hold of these things more. When you're talking to someone on their deathbed, they don't say, wish I would have partied more. They say, wish I wouldn't have done those things. I wish I wouldn't have lived that way. I, I wish I wouldn't have done it. Well, today people are just exactly as, <coughs> excuse me, so they will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. And that's the contrast. You can be lover, a lover of yourself or a lover of pleasure or a lover of God. And then in verse five, it says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. The church today, to the large part, and unfortunately, has a form of godliness, but denies the power. Much of the church in the Bible built, people live no different than anywhere else. They go out and party or drink on Friday night or Saturday night and then go to church on Sunday morning and act like that's the norm. The emergent church today denies the power of the Word of God, but it's very religious. They light candles. They come in and light candles for prayers. They have icons that they can pray to. But when the guy gets up to teach, he says, well, we don't, we don't really know if we believe that the Bible's the Word of God. and We don't really know if Jesus is the way. We're just all kind of on a journey together and I don't really know anything. You don't know anything. Let's go together. It's a form of godliness. You have the emotion of godliness, or should, I should say the emotion of religion, but it denies the very power of God, power to change lives, power to radically move where someone needs it. And then it says, from such people turn away. Get away from people like that. The last thing that you need are people that say that they are following Christ who are not really following him. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. You want to surround yourself with people who love God. You want to be equally yoked at every turn that you can be equally yoked. That will spur you on into a closer commitment to Christ. It goes on to say in verse six, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts and learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, again, that's like today. In their culture, uh, women were very vulnerable for various reasons in their culture. Today, people are learning, always learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth as well. And then in verse eight, it compares it. Now, as Janus and Jambres were resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. These are the two guys that opposed Moses. You remember that when Moses went before Pharaoh and brought the plagues to try to get Moses to let the people of Israel leave, that, you know, he turned up the staff into a snake and the magicians did the same. Turned the river into blood, the magicians did the same. They made frogs come out and the magicians did the same. They made flies come out and the magicians did the same. By the way, he should have fired the magicians. When you have a, a plague of frogs and they go, we can do that and they make more frogs, 
we really want your power to remove frogs, not to make more frogs. But they finally came to the point where they couldn't mimic God anymore. They finally came to the point where their power was short. That's religion. That's dead religion. There's a certain point where dead religion can mimic what God does. There are certain fulfillments that dead religion can do. But it comes to a point like these two where you can no longer copy what God does when God reaches down into a life and radically transforms someone. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and you are, your life is changed because of that. He goes on to say here in verse 9, but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs was also. Sooner or later, the folly of these who oppose the gospel, the folly of those who come up with new doctrines, new ideas, is going to be exposed. It's interesting when you think about just the past few years. There were a lot of new doctrines and weird doctrines that hit during the 60s. There were a lot of weird new doctrines that hit during the 70s. Remember, for those of you that are Christians in the 70s, do you remember the whole discipleship movement? There was a huge discipleship movement that you needed to have somebody discipling you and you needed to be discipling somebody. And that it was kind of like, it wasn't, it wasn't biblical because the Bible tells us that we are disciples of Jesus. We make disciples today, but you guys will be happy to know this. You're not disciples of Robert Furrow because that would be really sad. It'd be really, really, really sad. But you are disciples of Jesus Christ. You're his disciples. You sit at his feet. You learn from him. You grow from him. Well, that doctrine came and went. That doctrine went through several times over the past 20 years or 25, 30 years. There have been doctrines of demon possession among Christians that have come and gone. Do you remember the Toronto blessing? That was a while ago. Uh, what was it? Has it been 20 years now or something? Probably. It's been that long. The, the Toronto blessing was a group of people that all of a sudden decided for whatever reason, they said this was a move of God, that God wanted people to act like animals in worship. And I'm not making this up. It really happened. So during worship, they would act like dogs. They would act like elephants. They would act like uh, chimpanzees. They would roar like a lion. They would, uh, and it, you could still go on YouTube and watch it if you want to. It is bizarre, about as bizarre as it can be. And then they said, this is God that made us do it. Well, sooner or later, the folly of all of those things becomes evident because no one's doing it today. But people are still preaching the true word of God. At the same time that the, the weirdnesses in the animal, making animal sound movement was going on, there were other churches that were just teaching the word of God. Those churches are still teaching the word of God today, while all of these other weird, strange doctrines have become evident that they are weird and strange. I heard a guy, when I was like 18 years old, I heard a message and the guy told a story in the message. He said he was in the hospital, came near death. While he was in the hospital, all of a sudden he heard sandals coming down the hallway. And he thought, that's odd. Nurses don't wear sandals. Flip, flop, flip, flop down the hallway. And then Jesus came around the corner and walked in the room, sat down on the edge of the bed and told him, I've got something new that I want to give you for the people today. And so now he had a new message that he was giving. And he gave his new message. And by the way, the message wasn't all that impressive, all right? But at 18 years old, I knew enough already to know this is whack. First of all, 
I question, I'm pretty skeptical about things. And when somebody tells me I was in the hospital and Jesus came up to me, a little beard and sandal on, I always go, I don't believe it. Generally, because I'm pretty skeptical. Would he do that? Could he do that? If God, if Jesus decided that he wanted to walk into your hospital room, could he do that? I guess he could, yeah. I don't know why he would do it. There's a few scriptures that come to my mind that make me think maybe he wouldn't do it. But nevertheless, who are we going to tell God can't do it? But why is he going to do it? And is he going to come to bring you a new doctrine? Is Jesus going to go, you know, I've been thinking for 2,000 years, I should have told him this when I was there. <laughs> so I just want to kind of show up now, tell you what I didn't do right back then so you can go out and correct it. Well, what did Paul say in Galatians chapter 1? If anybody comes to you teaching you anything other than what you have already heard, let them be accursed. So if somebody says, I was out in the, the woods and I found these gold plates and this angel appeared to me and told me this new revelation, don't believe them. If somebody says, listen, uh, God spoke to me and I now have the power to write scripture and I'm now adding to the word of God through a magazine or cartoons that I'm going to give you on, on Saturday morning, don't believe them or anything else. Because sooner or later, these things will be revealed as not being true. He goes on to say in verse 9, But they will progress no further, for their folly is manifest to all, as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance, persecutions and afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystrum. What persecutions I endured... And out of them all, the Lord has delivered me. Paul says, but you, Timothy, have carefully followed the things that I have brought to you. He encouraged him on this in the last chapter as well, that he would stay true to the things that Paul had brought him. And for you and me, it's that we would stay true to the word of God. Now, we don't get distracted by somebody that had a visit by Jesus in the hospital or by some kind of weird thing that they believe that God Another one was the, um, the drunk by the Holy Spirit, the laughing in the spirit thing. You guys remember that? They, uh, there was another one that came up here not long ago. I think it was in, Pen started in Pensacola, Florida. There were a group of people that all of a sudden started laughing in the service. And it kind of went on and on and on. Everybody started laughing. And if you want to watch it, I usually don't tell people to go watch something on YouTube, but you can go to YouTube and type in laughing in the spirit and buckle your seatbelt because it's about as bizarre as it gets. And, and, and the guy said, you know, I'm the Holy Ghost bartender. And this is a move of the Spirit. And the Spirit is out here getting you guys drunk. And they would call it being drunk in the Spirit. And they'd stumble around and act drunk in a church service. But the Bible says that if you are filled with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If you're going to be weird, if you want to stumble around and act like you're drunk and laugh, and if you want to do that, do it. Just don't blame God for it. That weird things happen doesn't surprise me. You know, about 5% of the population is weird anyway. It's just the way it is. Weird things are going to happen. But don't blame God for those kind of weirdnesses. Now he goes on after saying, do these things that I've given you to do and persecutions. Persecutions were going to arise for those who were in Ephesus where Timothy was. And so he says in verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He, he gives them a promise. He gives us a promise. Everyone who decides to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have persecution. 
you're gonna have tribulation. Jesus even said, rejoice when you are persecuted for my name's sake. He goes on to say then in verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The closer we get to the return of Jesus, evil men will grow worse and worse. This verse reminds me of the end of the book of Revelation. Let those who are filthy be more filthy still, and let those who are righteous be more righteous still. It reminds me of the end of the book of Daniel. Those who are godly are going to become more godly, it says, and those who are wicked are going to become more wicked. There's a polarizing effect happening as we march on the last days where things are becoming more and more wicked. By the way, there's a group of people that believe that we are living in the kingdom age right now. There's also a group of people called all millennialists or, or um, post-millennialists that believe that the world's gonna get better and 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 better until Jesus comes back again. Now, as we look at the world today, do you think it's getting better and better and better? And by the way, if we're living in the millennium, isn't this just sad? If this is the millennium that we're living in, it really is sad. There are certain preterists that will teach the same thing, that things are kind of just getting better and better and better. No, it says here, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Two types of men, evil men and imposters. An evil man doesn't always know that he's lying. He's just evil. An imposter knows that he's lying. He knows that he's an imposter. And it says they'll grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There are some that are deceiving and they know that they're deceiving. There are others who are deceived and they are deceiving because they are themselves deceived. So again, in the last days, perilous times are gonna come. All these people are living these things and we're living in a time where there's gonna be persecution and evil men are gonna grow worse, worse and worse and there's gonna be more and more bizarre things that are being taught. And that's why we have to hang on to the word of God. So he says to Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. Continue in what you know. Continue in the foundation of the scriptures that you have learned. I, as I said, those weird teachings of making animal noises or being drunk in the spirit or of, you know, discipleship ideas or anything else or the, the, the teaching the guy had that Jesus supposedly told him in his hospital room are not being taught anymore. But the truth of the word of God is going out on airwaves every day, is being listened to on the internet daily, is being taught in churches that are committed to the word of God. And he says this, and from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What is it that you need? The holy scriptures that you have learned. There's so much in the word of God. And I, I say this so often, but it's so true. There's so much in the word of God that you could spend the rest of your life pouring into the Bible and not learn it all. I was thinking about this earlier today. I've been teaching Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, 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 Wednesday, 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 just through the word of God, through the word of God, and we are still discovering things in God's word as we gather together. God is still revealing through the depths of his word. And so verse 16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.